Well, hello, listeners, and welcome back to the Purposeful Marketing Podcast. Aaron and Mary here, and we have a very special guest, dear friend, another content creator in our space, and someone I love to follow, Blake. I'm happy you're here to just set the stage again for people who are new listeners, because um, you are new listeners, I see you here. We're having good marketing conversation every day. We want to have it with you in this space. And through that conversation, we hope we can pull some truths out, some understanding, some ideas, and just have great purposeful dialogue. That's what the Purposeful Marketing Show is about. And that's why we brought Blake here today to kind of talk about this idea of return to fundamentals. Before we get to the idea, I just want to throw it over to Blake. Again, I just told him he can have fun in the Purposeful Marketing Podcast. I want to honor that truth and just kind of give him the floor just to introduce himself, kind of talk about what he's doing, and then we'll get to it. So Blake, take the show. For sure. So I will I will provide the elevator pitch intro of me and my background. But I've got to say, so you said like content creators, Aaron. So I was talking with my younger brother and I was telling him, you know, like you know, I posted on LinkedIn, got the podcast, doing that stuff. And there was like a tweet I saw where it's like one day you're young and cool. And the next day you're thinking about B2B SaaS. And like <laughs> I just thinking about the idea that we're like creators in that space. Just I don't know. It's just pretty cool. Yeah. So anyhow, I just had to. Had to call that mm -hmm. out. Um, so for everyone who doesn't know me, which is probably most people, uh, so my name is Blake Strozik. I am the founder of a B2B SaaS and tech demand gen consultancy. That's a mouthful there. Uh, so basically what I do is I help uh, you know C through Series B startups drive efficient pipeline growth through their paid media efforts and like uh, organic demand gen advisement. So a little bit about my background. I worked with a Series D pre-IPO startup as a senior demand gen manager, worked at an agency called Refine Labs, where I worked with six Series A through C uh, B2B SaaS and tech companies. And then before that, I led marketing at a small B2B bootstrap tech company here in Cleveland, Ohio, where I was serving a really niche audience, the corrections audience. So I got to learn a lot uh, to that. So that's my background, how I got to where I am today. And I am pumped to talk fundamentals with you guys today. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for that, Blake. I think why well, I wanted Blake to introduce himself to just offer some authenticity about what we're talking about, because his role now is he's going to see this a lot, working with um, new clients and looking at their entire business strategy and, and maybe ask the question of how can I get them to fundamentals? So when we say return to fundamentals, I think... What resonates with me most, as I'm someone who really handles the operation of marketing um, within my clients, is if I don't understand the strategy, I don't understand how to operate efficiently to get the results. That's a major problem. <laughs> and I think we've seen this way too often. Now, Mary, what's special with you <laughs> coming into your VP of marketing role is you're kind of setting the stage now. So do you really want to talk us through like what is a good strategy from the business and marketing level? And then how are you kind of filtering that down to the activity you're doing? Yeah, for sure. So um, coming in as head of marketing, they had had kind of like a couple like marketing-ish roles, worked with a couple agencies, mostly just doing tactical execution. So marketing just wasn't a priority. They did a lot of outbound sales, a lot of BDR qualification. That was kind of how they bootstrapped, like went from zero to one. Um, in the startup space. And the way I thought about strategy from a business perspective is through, so we have a CEO and then we have our founder who's the chief product officer. So talking to them before I even was hired. So I, you know, really wanted to dig in and make sure this was a good fit for me. Um, knowing 
where they were at in terms of growth. So one of the things that really attracted to uh, me to map my customers was they weren't like, we need to a 1 million X revenue by the end of 2023. They were like, look, we know we need marketing. We're okay if we're completely stagnant for all of 2023, as long as you're doing the work that's going to set us up for success for the next two to three years. So like that's our runway. So our runway is two to three years. We're okay if we're stagnant for the rest of 2023. So that helped me like, not because it's an excuse for me to not do anything and remain stagnant, but it helped me realize that they're not this growth at all costs. They're not, they're not going to force me to do marketing tactics for the sake of growth. And, you know, we talk a lot about like MQLs and just getting a bunch of leads that aren't going to close. So that was number one. And then number two was the vision. So I wanted to make sure this company had a vision of what the product, where the product is now, how it's helping customers solve problems, but also where it wants to be in the future. So um, what I love about our founder and chief product officer, his name's Matt Sniff on LinkedIn. If you don't know him, go look him up. He is really excited about this product. It was like this homegrown thing he built for his dad, but he has big ideas, big visions, and the product roadmap really spoke to that vision. So those are the two things that attracted me the most was there wasn't this um, growth at all costs. We don't care what we do as long as we grow. And then number two is they had a big vision and marketing really did feel like the kind of missing piece of that. So I don't know, I kind of rambled for a little bit. So I no, 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 because no. I, I think what I wanted to do with you is like give a real example of this process now. So then I could ask the question to Blake first and then we can all answer essentially why is this not happening? Like, why is there not a good business strategy in place? Um, Blake, you're talking to a lot of clients when you come in, like, what are the things you are observing or just generally what your thoughts are on that question? So no, that's super helpful context, Mary. And yeah, Aaron, good. I think a good job teeing it up there. I think, you know, what stuck out to me, Mary, first about what you said, then I'll talk broadly about what at least I see with the clients I work with. So one thing that you really talked about was just really alignment with the founders and co-founder, right? Or the you know, chief product officer, the founder and the CEO, where they know like, okay, this is a strategic investment that we have. We're okay if we're stagnant, which is something that like, like you said, it's not an excuse to not be accountable to results, but it is expectation setting where it's like, okay, we know our sales cycles are X, or we know we need to figure out which segment's going to work. So you have that room to experiment and do it the quote unquote right way. So you're not forced into, you know, prioritizing short-term results. So I think for me, what I see, and I think you guys have probably seen this too, really there's a couple of fundamentals to have in place for a company to you know, have good aggressive growth. And so it's at a company level, so the company strategy, and then like the marketing strategy level, and those bleed into each other. So at the company level, kind of how I see it is you have the market opportunity. So how big is the market you're going after? Is it growing or shrinking? Is it growing, stagnant or shrinking? And then on top of the you know market opportunity, what are the segments within that market that you're going to go after? And you know like and then how do those different segments interact? And then all of that bleeds into you know depending on who you're going after, that bleeds into your marketing strategy of how you position your product. So against what competitors or what current solutions, how you message that product, so how you go talk to those specific segments of the market. Then just your overall go to market. So from a product perspective, 
you know, like, what is your emotion? Are you going to be sales led? Like Mary, you talked about your company has been to date. Are you going to be product led? Are you going to have a hybrid emotion? So I think the, the, the biggest challenge, and maybe I'll, I'll tee it off for you guys here. Those are the buckets of fundamentals I see. And the reason where those fall apart is a couple, it's like probably two or three fold. So the first piece of it is that typically companies go after the entire market and don't make a strategic choice, choice to segment. The reason for that, at least from what I've seen, is that founders will go, they'll raise money. If they're in like a venture backed or, you know, if, they, if they're a PE backed company, they'll go and raise funding. And what will happen is they'll go and pitch that they're going after this entire market. And that that's what the company is going to be responsible for. When in reality, that might be the future vision. So Mary, like you talked about, your founder probably has like the world domination future vision of like, we're going to be the field sales CRM for everybody. But like they start there and then they don't take a step back and say, well, that's where we want to go, but that's not what we can do right now. And so, because right now what you can do is probably a very small segment of the market, but you can still win in that market. So it's about saying, okay, out of our whole market, how do we make a strategic choice? And most people don't do that because if you choose wrong, it can have bad consequences. So I think that's the first piece. And the second piece, and then I'll, I'll pause, open up to you guys. So the first piece is the market. But the second piece that I think is the big thing is just like a, aligning on like the goals and like how realistic they are relative to the market. So once you've decided your market and you have to decide you have to hit an ARR or pipeline goal, you have to understand if that's realistic. So if you sell a $10,000 per year tool, well, if you take your pipeline goal for the year, you backwards engineer how many $10,000 deals does it take to get there, you can kind of see like, okay, is this realistic to have 100 deals come in when our total market is 500 accounts? Are we going to have 20% of our market come inbound? Probably not. So I think like that's the biggest piece is like, number one, you have to define your market, then you have to segment it. Number two, you got to get all that positioning and messaging in place. And number three, you have to align that all with the goals. And so I'll pause right there, tee that up for you guys. But that's what I see at scale. And so I don't know if you guys have seen something similar. Definitely. I'll I'll riff on it a little bit and I'll pass it to you, Mary. I think um, for my non-SaaS listeners, because you guys are out there, um, I think something that happens in SaaS more is, right, um, someone says, I have product market fit and they really don't have it. And that's kind of what, Blake is talking about of like, was there actually a strategic choice to get to product market fit and how do we get there? For my non-SaaS listeners, how I would kind of think about this is essentially, who are my target relationships that are most important for me to reach now? Then segment them out and understand like what services I can provide for them that are, that are best suited for them. That same scenario doesn't quite happen as I laid it out, right? It's, we start with a service and then we work our ways backwards. So. We just gave you a SaaS scenario, a non-SaaS scenario, but I think what Blake said sticks. I think the one I'll work with first is like strategy is I think the why that doesn't happen is because of who is the one leading the strategy. And I think that's where as marketers, at least on my client side, I'm working in the agency. It's um, sometimes it's convoluted. <laughs> sometimes it's sales. You mentioned the motion. Sometimes sales is leading that strategy, depending on the motion. Um, sometimes it is the CEO. Sometimes the board has um, quite a bit of weight with the strategy as well. So what I'm talking about is all these different stakeholders that may shift alignment. I think that's part of like the reason of why we got here. And I think there's different ways to solve it. Um, Mary, I'll pass it to you. Just from the strategy standpoint, you kind of want to um, riff on that a little bit. 
Yeah, I totally agree with you guys from like the SaaS and service oriented business. And I then, before I was at Gorilla on the service side, I was on like manufacturing product side. And, you know, it was a big company, a huge industrial company. And, you know, strategy didn't bleed down. So um, top executives might have had a strategy, but it didn't really reach the mid-level or um, kind of uh, user tier. So like the the very low tier, which is where I was <laughs> as a marketing specialist. And so I was like operating with no goals and no strategy in mind because we just, it just didn't ever bleed down to that level. Um, so I think that's an interesting one too. And um, I'd be interested, like kind of curious to get your guys take. We were also kind of the leader in our space, like far and away, like had more than 50% of market share, like so I think in a way, um, product businesses or manufacturing businesses, businesses that have been around for a long time can get a little bit comfortable in that. And so the strategy just becomes like, continue, like don't decline, <laughs> like, you know, maintain our two to 3% revenue growth year over year. And then, you know, red flags if anything changes there. So that's just another interesting take that I've noticed, um, I agree with your guys' takes on SaaS and service, and then that's just an interesting thing on the product side. Definitely. Blake, working with your clients, because let's we'll handle the next one after this, but how do you help them make strategic choices? If like that's the first item in that three there. So no, that's a, that's a uh, good question. I think just going back real quick to your guys' points on service versus you know, product manufacturing, you kind of have a fixed margin. I think uh, just kind of setting the stage and then I'll talk about specifics, how I help with strategy. You know, I think one of the things is just it's what you guys called out. It's so important to understand what your business model is. So like the three we just talked about, SaaS versus services versus uh, manufacturing product, all have very different like, like revenue motions. Like SaaS is at high margin. So you have 80 to 90% margins, you know, after you, you know, have your data centers and have all that stuff, right? Like obviously you have the development costs. Services, you're going to be a lot lower margin, but you can, you know, you're going to be much more profitable. And then like manufacturing, in that case, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert in any of the three of those, but for manufacturing, from what I understand, right, like you have a pretty fixed margin amount. So anything you spend for marketing is going to kind of eat into that margin. Like you're not going to just make more necessarily. So I think what's important though, is like what we all just three talked about. It's understanding like, okay, regardless of which business, how do you set the strategy? So I'll talk about how I help at least SaaS and tech companies set strategies, even though I am working with uh, two professional services companies, so maybe that can help as well. But really, I think the best place that I start with a lot of teams is like, I always ask my clients, provide me an account list of people that you can sell to. And the reason that I do this is twofold. One, I use this as part of our advertising efforts on LinkedIn. It just, I found this to be a lot more reliable than LinkedIn's native targeting. Because of the second point here where, having an account list forces you to make a strategic decision. It forces you to go into a third-party database, to go into your CRM, to go build it for yourself, but to basically say, hey, these are the people that we can sell to. Like, it's not just saying like, oh, people will find us or we'll find them on LinkedIn. It's saying like, no, like these are the people we've identified based off this firmographic, psychographic, whatever data that we know we can sell to. So that's like the biggest piece I see now, the, the pitfalls of that are like, you could choose the wrong account list. Like I've done that before and you just, you don't sell to that segment. So that kind of sucks. And then on the, like the other piece of that is that like, 
you go after an aspirational account list where you say, we want to sell to all these big logos when you don't have fit with them yet, or you're not equipped to sell to an enterprise motion. So that's where I would say I would start. I don't know if you guys have used that in the past, but I definitely do the account list is like kind of the forcing function for being strategic. I think that's a wonderful tip. I even wrote it down for myself. So that's how impactful it was. Same. <laughs> um, yeah, I think another thought, because I want to stay with strategy real quick before I move to the next one is um, once you make a strategic decision, you have to make a decision to say, um, like strategically, what is very unique for you to say? And I think that's another pain point that I face a lot with my clients is it's not enough to just say, these are the people we can sell to. Like now it's the next step of the strategy. It's like, what is the unique, important POV that I need to tell these type of customers? I think that's also a strategic decision that has to happen at the top so we can have a good strategy and have good marketing. And if you don't, you have bad strategy, bad marketing, as we put it. So, okay. Any follow-up to that? Or do you want to move to number two? I'll just pass to you, Blake. You can set us up for number two. Yeah. So I think, you know, before we kind of get to point two, I think one way to highlight the importance of setting an accountless strategy and like how it can help with differentiation. So I'm a one, I'm a services business, right? I'm a one man consultancy and I, you know, work with a couple of contractors, but basically what I sell is a commoditized service, right? I sell paid ads management. You can go on Upwork, you can go on Fiverr, you could go into your LinkedIn DM wasteland and see a bunch of people selling that type of service. So it's like for me, right? I, I live with this every day. How do I set apart from other competitors, right? Quote unquote competitors. And so the way I think about this, and I mean, this bleeds into how I work with clients, is that I, I have two or three core differentiators. So the first is focus. So I could sell to anybody in B2B, but I chose to sell, choose to sell into B2B SaaS and tech. So that's one is focus. So that kind of narrows my list. Like I have a list of uh, like 3,000 companies from Crunchbase of C through Series B tech companies that are based in the U.S. And Mary, would you believe it or not, you are on that list. How cool is that? But anyhow, yes. I know you've made it where you are on a straight list. But so, so that's one thing, right? So it's like, so it's like I I've niche down there. So that's what a lot of companies can do. The second thing is because of that niche down, I have different messaging. So I was I had an interesting call with. And again, like, I don't know if this anecdote's helpful, but I think it might be, so I'll share it. Like, I had a call with a guy who runs a marketing agency for dog trainers, about as niche as you can get. 700K ARR business, healthy business, but his messaging, like, he was on my website and he's like, I don't know what you do. And I was like, that's okay. I was like, that's okay. Cause we were kind of just talking, swapping notes. But like, his messaging to his clients is very different right? He's selling to dog trainers, the so same services. We're both doing Google ads work. We're both doing Facebook retargeting, but he's selling to uh, dog trainers and he's saying, Hey, I'm going to help you get more dog training clients or more booked appointments for pet parents, whatever the language is, right? Well, I'm trying to tell B2B SaaS and tech companies, Hey, I'm going to help you drive more efficient pipeline growth. And so we're selling the same services, but we're positioned in different ways to different audiences. So our messaging is different, right? And so he is the best person to talk to if you're a dog trainer. Like, I wouldn't be a good fit. Actually, I had a client that I transitioned over to him because, like, I don't do the dog training anymore. But for me, like, I speak very specifically to B2B SaaS and tech. So I won't keep going on that tangent. But I think, like, that's a good example, though, of just, like, even for a services business, 
you make a deliberate choice who you serve. And I chose that because I have a background in that. But you make a deliberate choice who you serve. And then when you make that choice, it impacts the rest of your marketing. So if you go to my website, you'll see like, hey, this is very specific to SaaS and tech. If you go on my LinkedIn post and what I talk about there, all the advice is around like SaaS and tech, how you succeed there. That's not to say you can't apply it to manufacturing or services, but it's a very specific focus. So I think, I don't know if that resonated with you guys, but I felt compelled to share. I think that's a great share. I think we're really spending a lot of time on strategy first because that is just so crucially important. And then once you get the strategy right, positioning becomes easier. Niching down becomes easier. Your strategic narrative becomes easier. Um, I think I, I'm loving what I'm hearing from you, Blake. Um, nothing more to add. Um, point two, I keep asking that because I keep forgetting what point two is. Then we can go to that and then we can ask Mary a question. All right, so, sounds good. Uh, you want, want me to go ahead and tee it up? Yeah, tee it up. Yeah, so I think, you know, we've, we've talked about like the overall strategy and like what those buckets are. So I think we can talk about maybe be helpful to like kind of riff all a little bit about what do we do when we have that strategy, right? So I think one thing is like you can't use not having a strategy as an excuse. Like if you don't have a strategy, you need to be the executive sponsor or you need to work with the executive sponsor on getting to that table and having that conversation because you can't just say like, I can't get results because we don't have this. No leader is going to want to hear that. Like Mary, I'm sure you can't go to the CEO or chief product officer and say like, we don't have a strategy, so I can't get results. Like you say like, we don't have, like we haven't segmented, so we need to do that. Here's what I did to like do that. And here's what I think about that. So maybe we can chat about that. But so I think it's, it's twofold, right? It's like, you need to make sure the strategy is set, but then when it sets, like, what do you do with it? So I think maybe let's start with like getting the strategy set and then we can kind of riff on like, what do you do when the strategy is set? Definitely. That's a great question for you, Mary. You're being tasked yeah. with this now. Um, give us your thoughts. Yeah, for sure. So the strategy for us was twofold. So the first thing is we didn't know what to call ourselves. Like, are we an app? Are we a platform? Are we a CRM? So like, honestly, that was like number one thing. I was like, you guys are telling me all the things that are indicating you're a CRM. Um, I go on, I go on the website and it says you're a tool. I go on the app store. It says it's an app. Like we need to align on what we are. Like we need to call ourselves something that goes across the organization because it's, it's going to matter. And you know, it, it came up in sales conversations. One of my sales guys was like, yeah, I had a conversation with somebody and he asked me point blank, are you a CRM or aren't you? And I said, well, we function like a CRM. We can integrate with CRMs. And the guy was like, okay, see you later. I just wanted to know. Like if he would have just said yes or no, it would have like furthered the conversation, but because he kind of danced around it. So anyways, strategy, um, reasoning behind that is, you know, it puts a stake in the ground. It offers a way for buyers to associate with you, with other platforms, with other options and it gives, you know, this is classic April Dunford positioning. It just, it sets a stake in the ground. So it gives your potential prospects and customers a frame of reference. Um, so that was number one. And then number two was, who are we going to go after? So yes, we can sell to every single outside field sales team, but we really need to start defining um, who are the best fits for us. And what that meant was not only um, segmenting by industry. So there was only like two industries that really were coming to the top um, when we were analyzing our best fit customers. 
but also like what were the job titles like who are the people who are like the champions why are they the champions of the product um what features are grabbing them stuff like that so the strategy for us was number one what are we going to call ourselves and number two who are we going to market and sell to yeah that's awesome Mary. because i think with the strategy once that's in place that probably led you to do different activities for sure um, yeah i also love that you heard something from a customer say it and that made you think about the strategy and then you did different activities with the strategy I think that's what we're talking about when we're saying fundamentals is sometimes we overcomplicate things, but it's like, here's the overall thing we need to do. Um, let me test it once. It didn't work. Let me move to the next thing. Um, I think for me, what I was going to offer of like how the strategy can help you decide what to do with the strategy. I think at proof point, we kind of live that now explain it again, as I know our listeners have heard it from me is our strategy is we want to build relationships at scale because we think that's the way you build revenue at scale. So that's the strategy. Now that leads me to do certain things. For instance, there's a reason why I'm always on podcasts, right? Is um, the strategy tells me that I should go out there and build relationships. And that's what I go do. Likewise with my clients, like we at sometimes just will drop everything if we need to have a relationship conversation. The marketing, that stuff can come later. If I see that someone needs to have an empathetic relationship conversation, that's what we're doing because we're trying to build a relationship at scale. I'm just giving us some examples here of like, you had that overarching strategy, well, now your activity is going to be different, right? I think that's, again, why we're talking about it. it's just so important to have that in place so that you can do the fundamentals with what you do with the strategy. Any follow-up to that, Blake? Yeah, no, I think you guys have both mentioned some great things, Mary, on like tactically how you've done that and then Aaron on the relationship piece. And I think one thing I'd add to both of those or just to supplement to that, so I'll provide an example from a client I had worked with, and I use them as an example a lot because I think they illustrate it well. So I had one of my clients, they're a seed stage startup, and who they work with is they sell to strength and conditioning coaches at universities in the US. So that's about as niche as you can get in B2B, right? There's a very set number of universities in college athletics. There's a very set number of strength and conditioning coaches. But what's beautiful about that is that they're very clear on who they're going after. So while their market isn't huge yet, like they have plans to expand to the larger fitness, corporate wellness market. They're going after a very specific segment where their founder has a network, where they have you know good experience. But one thing that I want to share from that and like how this drives strategy. So we've been running ads for them for a couple months, or I had been running ads for them a couple months, and we'd been running them together, and we just weren't seeing inbound come in. And so we're like, okay, well, why is that? We feel like we're saying the right message. We know we're targeting the right people. We can go very tactically, go into the LinkedIn ads, demographics report, pull in. Here's universities. Here's the job titles, all that stuff. So why aren't we having people come inbound? We can't get this off the ground. Well, when we looked at how strength and conditioning coaches buy, what we found were they typically don't come inbound and talk to a vendor. What they're used to is they're used to somebody reaching out to them to give them a trial of the product or to give them like very tactically hands-on, like how can they use this product? And they're used to having free pilots. They're not used to having like just a demo. They're used to like, let's try this for six weeks, see if it works. So what we did strategically based off that is we changed our go-to-market like conversion point. Instead of saying like, okay, I want you to request a demo. We said, okay, I want you to see if you're interested in doing a free six-week trial. So we'll front some of the equipment, we'll front some of the coaching, and then you can get this. And so the reason I think that's relevant to this conversation is because like 
basically what your strategy does, it gives you a jumping off point to reverse engineer your buyer's buying process. Because what you like, Mary, to your point, you know, is say if you're selling to field sales, like me, like a medical device or pharma or like whoever has like the good field sales teams, I bet you they have very specific motions and they just want to see very specific things. Like I know you've talked about the mobile app and stuff. And so it's a matter of figuring out like, okay, we know this is how this vertical buys or how, you know, this segment buys. So how can we change our marketing sales and product messaging to align to that? So that we can like have an unfair advantage compared to like a HubSpot, who's a do it all, all in one CRM or Aaron, to your point, like how can we have a very specific process for a services business to help them build relationships at scale? Whereas your run of the mill agency is just going to tell you to run, go, go run Google ads for marketing agency, whatever. So I, that, that's just what I would add to that from the strategy perspective, like why it's so important. Like you need that jumping off point to be able to reverse engineer what you need to do and kind of build your roadmap for you. Definitely. And I think, I think one of the things with why marketers struggle like in-house and agency is um, generally these conversations are not happening. So I think that's like the elephant in the room is like, um, we're all talking about it and we're taking the initiative to talk about it. But um, essentially, as we discussed before on the show, you may not be in position to have that conversation. But what I think you can do is start building these skills now and that's, again, why we want to record us talking through this so you can understand and go do the same activities. I think with what you said, Blake, again, what's really important is um, focus, commitment. Then you can do the activities. Um, listen to Blake and Mary's examples of actually how they did the activities. It's going to be different for everyone. But what they did is have a strategy they committed to. It's going to allow them to do different things. Then we get to the third point, which I believe was goals. Correct, Blake? So... Um, I'll let Blake tee this up, but this is one I'm so resonant with as I'm definitely tasked to help clients understand what their goals are and how the actual marketing execution led to those goals. So Blake, you can tee us up again and we'll take it. Yeah. So, I mean, I know you guys have both seen this work at agency side and probably seen this internally as well, but like goals hit the entire spectrum. You see some goals where it's like, okay, that's realistic. That's a good stretch goal. You see other goals where you're like, there's no way we're ever going to hit that goal. And then there's sometimes there's no goals and you're like, how are there no goals? Like, I just, I don't understand that. Uh, so I think across the three of them, right? Like what's consistent. So I think to consistently set good goals, like how, or how that like plays out is that like, it's so important to, when we talked about the strategy, understanding your market and market opportunity and how that relates to your goals. So that's one piece of it. And then, Another piece of it is like looking inside your CRM, which I know you both have talked before and uh, Mary, I know we've talked about, but it's like when you start with the data that you're, you have today, you can root in reality. So for a lot of companies, especially as you're starting a marketing program uh, or a demand gen program or whatever it is, you can root your reality in your outbound sales motions, right? So for example, like you can take and say like, okay, if we looked at our, you know, uh, if we looked at our commercial organization and we looked at how much we allocated to sales, we spent a million dollars on sales headcount commission and tech last year. And we know we got X amount of return from that. So we got this many demos in, in SaaS, got this many demos, this many opportunities, this many closed one customers. So you have a benchmark and you have like a grounding in reality where you're saying like, okay, this is how much it costs us today to get a customer. And then so when you're given a huge goal, that's three X what it was last year, you can basically say like, okay, like I don't have any data from a marketing perspective, 
But what I can tell you is based off our sales cost, this is what it would cost to reach that if we were going to use the same cost. So now from a marketing perspective, you can't just expect me to go with $1,000 a month, two freelancers and no agencies and myself to go and hit that same goal, right? It, it kind of roots it in reality. So like, I think like goals are so important. It's one to understand like, is this a good goal and realistic, which you can use with like, you know, kind of where you're at today. And then like number two, the other example I shared earlier, like if you're uh, based off your current funnel analysis, say you do have some inbound marketing working. If it's like, okay, I would need a hundred opportunities and I have 300 accounts to sell to. There's just no way that's going to happen in a year. There's just no way I'm going to have a third of my market come inbound. So we either need to increase contract size and that's, that's a product conversation or we need to increase our market. So that's a strategic decision. But like, I think the biggest thing is just like when you're looking at goals, you have to like do the due diligence and analysis to make sure like these are all legit. And the second thing is like, you have to be willing to put yourself out there too and like be willing to push back. Like at the end of the day, like nobody is going to push back on you if you come rooted in like reality. Like, yeah, they might be like, well, no, I think we can still hit it. But like, don't be afraid that like, oh, I'm going to lose my job if I push back on this. Like obviously everyone's situation is different. It's not job advice. But like I, I have always treated it such a way where it's like, I am always going to speak what I think is the truth. And yes, sometimes you need to be a little bit more political about it or a little bit more, uh, what's the right term about it? You know, like a little bit more refined in your there approach, you <laughs> buttoned up. But mm -hmm. like at the end of the day, like you do, like if you're signing yourself up to a goal that you know you're going to fail, you're not going to be happy doing that. So went a couple of different ways there. I think a couple of good starting off points for you guys. Love it. Now, Mary, I'll give you the floor because again, you're doing this now. You're being tasked with goals and the strategy and maybe you have some actual experience you can offer the listeners. Yeah. So um, my situation is really unique, I think, in the um, B2B SaaS space because I wasn't necessarily given a revenue number aside from like, don't lose money. <laughs> um, but it wasn't like we need to hit X revenue goal by the end of the year. So my goals were really the foundational and then just getting more inbound requests. So maybe those didn't need to convert into pipeline or revenue because we have longer sales cycles with our enterprise clients. But hey, can you just like show us this works? Show us this new messaging is working. Show us that the focus, the strategy that we're executing, just give us those leading early indicators. So as far as goals, like that's really the only goal I have as far as results. Now what I'm tracking myself is like those other indicators. So my goal, let's say, is prove the strategy is working, prove that segmenting and positioning is driving real results. So my goals look a lot different than let's say product or sales. So mine is refining the website, getting case studies up, making sure we're promoting the podcast better. Um, so those are my goals. Those are my execution level goals. And then at the end, the only thing I report to anybody in the company is, yes, the strategy is working or no, the strategy is not working. I love that. There's so many great things there because I think for three of us, we've all somewhat been revenue marketers or we've been tasked for revenue. And a lot of what you talked about, Mary, is like learning, like um, having visibility to what we're doing. I think that's a, a key learning from this episode is like sometimes when we say goals, I think they should be rooted in these quantitative um, things you look at and kind of how Blake said rooted in reality is like there should be some numbers that matter to your business. But as marketers, I think also goals can be key learnings. 
we can be, we need to validate this before we commit and scale it. You know, we need to just figure out what messaging works. Like those are all great goals too. And what resonated with what Blake said is um, like putting stake in the ground. Like these are the goals. Um, I think what happens so often, I work with so many clients that don't have a CRM or they keep everything in a spreadsheet. They need someone to come in, put a stake in the ground and say, these are the goals. They certainly should be rooted in reality. <laughs> they certainly should be realistic. But also if we put that and write it on the wall, we're much more likely to reach it than continue to say like, well, I don't really know. There's no strategy in place. I don't know what to do with the strategy. Like where are the goals? I think that's a cycle we're trying to get out of, right? By returning to the fundamentals. Any follow-up on that, Blake? Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say um, something what you both said just resonated with me where it's like, and it, it's, it's okay to like miss a goal. Like I think, I think people need to like hear that. And like I needed to hear that. Like I wish I heard that four or five years ago when I got started in B2B. But like it's okay to miss a goal. What's not okay is to miss a goal and not improve, right? Because so much of what we do in marketing, like Mary, I'm sure you're coming to this a lot. Aaron, I'm sure you deal with this with clients. I deal with this all the time where it's like, all right, based off of the data I have and based off of what I know now, like here, here's my business case. This is what I think we should do. And I'm going to use this to measure it. And here's my hypothesis. If we do X, we will get Y. But a lot of time and more than like, if you're on LinkedIn, nobody ever misses a goal, right? Everybody <laughs> always crushes it. Nobody has ever had a bad campaign. Everybody has gone up and to the right. You look even like, even like I look at like my website sometimes I'm like, okay, like I need to like tone this down. Like this is just not, <laughs> yeah. you know, but it's like really what it comes down to is like when you fail or like when an experiment doesn't work out, what's just so important is that you learn. Like, so like, I mean, Mary, in your case, I'm sure like, you know, you're going to go after some segments that might not work and like, that's okay. But it's like, okay, well, at least our learning, like Aaron, to your point, what is our key learning? Our key learning is we learn that segment doesn't resonate. Like I recently went through this with a, a company where it's like, we've been going after these segments of their audience for, you know, over three quarters now. And we just have not been able to generate the traction. And I've like listed out like, Hey, here's everything I think of why this isn't working. But I think there's actual value in that of being able to say, we went after this, you know, segment and we had this goal to drive more inbound from there. We didn't hit it. Here's why we think not. And here's what we're going to do after it. Like there's value in that. It's not like you wasted time and didn't miss a goal. As long as you learn from something and act on it, totally okay. At least in my book, some people's books, not so much, but I don't really care what their books talk about. I think it's important. Definitely. Definitely. I, I'd love to end on that one there because I think if anything, what we're trying to show you is we all got here today from learning and failing. And that's why we're recording these episodes for you listeners. So the one thing I want to give Blake a chance to say, if people want to ask Blake a question or find Blake, where's the best place for you, Blake? Yeah. So the, uh, no, this has been great. Uh, the best place to reach me, you can reach me on LinkedIn. There's two Blake Strozik's in the U S I'm the one with the yellow background behind my head. Uh, so you could reach me on LinkedIn um, I have a couple of things. I have uh, just a couple of quick plugs that could hopefully help people. I have a new podcast coming out. So Mary's actually the first guest that's coming out nice. soon. Um, hopefully at the time this recording goes live, that it's out. I also have a uh, B2B DIY ads guide. So it's like 87 pages in a Google doc of like how to think about your targeting, your segmentation, your positioning, how to get a lot of technical stuff set up on the ad side. And then you can just always also shoot me just a DM I might take a couple days to respond, but I do typically get back to most DMs. So uh, those are like three ways people can reach me or uh, can get some additional resources. 
Excellent. Um, I have downloaded the DIY B2B ads guide. It's awesome. So I'll plug that as well. Um, definitely ask us questions, Mary, myself, um, James, who's not here today. He'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to the Purposeful Marketing Podcast, my spiel that you can find it everywhere, Spotify, Google, YouTube, wherever you consume content, we are there. We are taking guests. The best place to get on the show is just DM me, um, ask one of us. We'd love to have you on because I think these conversations matter. So with that, I'll bid you farewell. I appreciate you listeners. Have a good day.